All right, will you turn with your Bible, please? Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we're in a little series now that's actually getting kind of changed around just a smidge because uh, we were power was out. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. <laughs> Happy everything from last week. Uh, but we are, uh, we are excited to bless the fathers, but we, I ate all your things, so I'm sorry. No, I didn't really. <laughs> but they didn't keep, so we just gave them away to everybody who came, got a bunch. <laughs> so if, they, if you showed up to the building not realizing the power was out, then you got a bunch of cakes. That was awesome. Uh, but we had, uh, just want to say to the fathers, we love you, we appreciate you, to all the, the men, young men in the congregation, um, we, we need men to be leaders who serve the Lord and know his word. So stay strong, stay in the word, the Lord will lead you. This morning we're talking in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we've been in this new little series, um, I have a fun Latin phrase for it, omni tempora paratus. It means ready in all seasons, ready at all times. And just, I just like that word paratus, it's cool. It happens to be the motto, semper paratus, of the Coast Guard. <sighs> Who I hate, but that's okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was in the Army, so I have to not like the Coast Guard. That's just how it works. Navy, Army, anything with water, no. Anyway, this means ready in all seasons. And what we're talking about is Paul is charging his disciple Timothy Timothy is a young man, but he's an apostle in the church. He's a leader over a region of churches. And his mission has been, especially in Ephesus and surrounding areas, to install elders, establish churches, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist, and solidify the church work that's happening. So if you recall, in Acts, in the book of Acts, what's happened is Pentecost has come, and the church has been um, exploding with Holy Spirit power. And so the Lord has started this from a movement of just a few. So there's 120 people gathered in an upper room who know the Lord and saw and witnessed him raised from the dead. And now all of a sudden people are getting saved, thousands of people in one meeting, if you will. And God is moving with power and it's spreading like wildfire. And then all of the people that you would read about, so like a Paul and a John and those guys, most of them stay, Paul comes later, but most of them stay in Jerusalem. And persecution comes upon the church, and the people, the regular people, scatter everywhere. And so by the time now that a Peter or a John or you know, one of these kind of guys is coming to meet the church, they're not coming to start the church. They're coming to find a place where a regular, brand new Christian has met God, gone back to their hometown, and just started telling people the gospel. And there's a church there. But then the church is like, what do we do? Because everybody's just meeting in somebody's house. And now here comes a Peter to say, let me instruct you. And so Paul is sending this guy, Timothy, who's coming in, establishing elders and helping teach them things and so that they would understand the whole word of God and they know what to do. That's exciting, though, isn't it? That also means God's normal way of growing is not through the preacher. It's not. Maybe, maybe, sometimes... God does great things, and 3,000 get born out of a great sermon that Peter preaches. But the usual way that God builds the church is through the people. It's not the building. It's not the program. It's not the preacher. It's the people. That's exciting. That's exciting because that means that's why I can tell the kids God's going to use you. It's because God uses his people. 
It's good. Praise the Lord. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's read together verses 1 through 5. Here's what Paul says. This is most likely his last letter he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And so think about this at the weight of, if you had one last letter to send to your child, what would you say to them? And here's what he says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word, and by his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, omni in tempora peritus, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Praise the Lord for his word. Fulfill your ministry. You know, God has work for us to do. So we are not working on our salvation to earn salvation, but being saved in him, being changed, made a new creation in him, we have work to do that he is calling us to. What is his work? His work is, he told us. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. Now, this is a radical charge. This is a radical charge because, first of all, going out and telling people things is much different than staying in and just doing a podcast. Podcasts are great, but it's very different, isn't it? So the people are supposed to go. They're supposed to make disciples. How do they make disciples? They tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And in telling them the good news of Jesus Christ, they baptize them, and then they don't stop there. They teach them to obey everything that Jesus said. And what's everything that Jesus said? It's the word of God. A lot of times it feels like in our modern day, um, we live by sound bites. Have you noticed that, that videos often are super short nowadays? So have you ever sat down and watched like an hour documentary? And you get 10 minutes into it, and you're like, this is taking forever. What is happening here? And you were super excited about it. You're like, man, I want to find out about the moon. Then you start watching it, and you're like, oh, moon, okay, got it, 10 minutes. Whew. So what do you do? You pull out your cell phone, and you start looking at stuff. And then you're doing messages, and you're on a web page, and you're watching a different video, and you're watching the thing. And then somebody calls, and you're doing 15 things, and you don't even know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, it's midnight. And this happens. Everybody's looking at me like, how did you know? <laughs> that's, how, that's how life is, because we don't stay focused on things anymore. And so the, the message that Christianity is saying today is not discipleship and obedience. It's not the gospel in a lot of cases. Usually it's self-help. How can you be happy? How can things be better? Or you're okay. Or we're tolerant of everything. And the problem with that is, is that that's not the word of God. One of the things that we need to be convinced of and understand is that today in a day of itching ears, where people find teachers to suit their passions for whatever they think. You know, you can find a church and a passion for anything you want. The other day I was in a restaurant, I'd say the other day, I have no concept of time. So like two years ago I was in a restaurant <laughs> and uh, the waitress was really nice and we're chatting. And so um, I'm like, hey, this is great conversation. And so I told her, she was a young lady, and I said, hey, you should come to church. I'm a pastor just down the road and um, you, need, you need to come. You meet everybody, it's gonna be great. 
I'm gonna, I'll t I'd love to tell you about the Bible. And she's like, I'd love to hear about the Bible. And I was like, this is awesome. And she goes, however, I'm a Jedi. And I said, okay. And she said, yep, so I just need you to know, come into it. I'd love to, I love reading old books, but I'd like to know about the, the Bible, but I'm a Jedi. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she, so she sat down in the booth. I don't know, she, hopefully she didn't get fired. Anyway, we chatted for a little bit, and she believes that George Lucas, who wrote and directed the movie Star Wars, was a prophet and received this vision of a real religious thing that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And that the force is the force. And so she's training and she found, you know, there's a, the United States government recognizes the Church of Jedi. It's a really, so actual religious entity that's protected by our constitution. And so she lived in a commune with this guy who was her master Jedi and um, there were a lot of abuses, it sounded like to me, that were happening there. But this was her, this is what she believed. And so with itching ears, you can find anybody who's going to teach you stuff. You can find whatever you want to find out. And man, as a six-year-old, I would have loved to move objects and have a lightsaber. I prayed a lot for a lightsaber. I'm not going to lie. But that's not the word of God. It's not the truth. So we need to be prepared to defend some things and not let the itching ears and the passions of our culture overwhelm us. Two weeks ago, because of our power outage, thank you for your patience with that, by the way. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about defending the truth that Jesus Christ is the king over the kingdom of God. He's not just a guy. He's not just a happy person. He's not just a good teacher. He is the king on the throne, and he has a kingdom which rules over all things forever and all time. And that Jesus is very different than Jesus, my friend. Now, he is our friend to, sinner, to sinners. He is our king. He's our savior. He loves us. He calls us to himself. He redeems us. He restores us. He heals us. But he's also the judge of the earth. And we behold both the mercy and the love of God and the severity of who he is. Because he is now one to be trifled with. He's the Lord of all things. And that is a different teaching and reality than we hear in most places, and it's what the Bible shows us. We need to be clear that Jesus is the king of all things. We also need to be clear that the power of God for salvation is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And in short, what is that? In short, that is, there was a problem, the problem of sin in our life. God created the world. It was good. He made people his image bearers, and they lived in a garden. He walked with them, and he told them, don't eat of this tree. It's the only rule. And our forefathers, Adam and Eve, who were the first people that he created, they ate that fruit. And sin, that's disobedience, entered into our existence. That disobedience, because God is God, because he's holy, because he's over all things, because his standard is perfect, separated us in our relationship from God. And because Adam and Eve were the first, they were the governors of the earth, the whole earth was affected by this sin. And so curse came on mankind, all their descendants. Curse came on the ground with thorns and, and evil things. And now God's good creation has been changed. But look at God's character in that moment. God had told Adam and Eve, if you eat the tree of this, fruit of this tree, you will surely die. And immediately they do. They feel the separation from God of relationship. But he preserves their life. And he tells them, they do eventually die later, but he tells them, I will deliver you 
And he tells them that they're going to be delivered in Genesis 3.15 through the seed of the woman, the son that's going to come through the woman. And he's going to deliver them. And the serpent that had deceived them, he's going to crush his head, though the serpent will bite this son's heel. And so the whole Bible from the very first pages is waiting for this baby boy to come, this son who's going to come, who's going to deliver mankind. The Bible's showing us all these people that come. We think maybe it's Moses, and maybe it's Abraham, and maybe it's David, and maybe it's all these people. But then we find out it's Jesus. Jesus is God's own son. He was born the God-man. He's, he is the Lord, took on flesh. Born as a person, fully God and fully man, he lives a perfect life with no sin, no disobedience toward God. And then he goes to the cross and dies for us, taking on the wrath of God for all sin that we might be freed from that judgment. He really dies for us because God said, if you sin, you will surely die. That's the punishment. That's why Jesus died on the cross. A traitor's death. The Bible says he became sin on our behalf, the object of God's wrath against sin, poured out onto Jesus. Really died for us. And three days later, really rose to life. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And the fact that he lives now is the guarantee that we can have life. Because no person has ever died and risen again to live. Some people have risen back to life, but they've always died eventually. Jesus rose to life. He ascended to the throne because he's the king over the whole universe. And he lives forever. And the hope that we have is, if you believe in Jesus, if you confess your sin, if you submit to him, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He makes us a new creation in him. He seats us with Christ in heavenly places. And a day is coming when he will return again. And we will get a body like his and live forever. That's a good hope, isn't it? That's the Bible in a, the gospel in a nutshell. We're going to kind of work that through here in a minute. Because if we're not clear on the gospel, we're going to get all over the place. And the church has got to be clear on the gospel. Hey, Roy, can we play that first, the Mariah Carey video, please? That's right, Mariah Carey. Let's watch this together.
Okay, Roy, that's good. Ooh, it's a great song, isn't it a great song? Has anybody never heard that song before? Okay, young people. In 1996, this was the number one song in the United States for, um, for 16 weeks, which held the record until 2019 of the most consecutive weeks of number one of any song in history. It's one of the most uh, recorded, most played, most purchased songs that's ever been in the United States. So all the people from the you know, 90s are like, who are these guys? That's Boys to Men and Mariah Carey. Don't worry about it. Anyway, what's the message of the song? What's the message of the song? What do you think? It's called One Sweet Day. Everybody understand it okay? Somebody's lost, right? Somebody's died. And what's the message? What's, what's that? Yeah, you, so they're going to be in heaven, right? And One Sweet Day, what will happen? Yeah, we'll see them again, right? So sorry, I never told you. There's just a lot of regret of now I can't hold you anymore. I can't see you. I can't tell you how I really felt, all these kind of things. But they'll come this day. And I know right now, I know you're shining down on me from heaven. And there'll come a day when we'll get to meet again. I played this song because from 1996, this is, again, number two song in history of the United States, most played, most purchased song. This is in our culture. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of times has been played. And there's an assumption here. And the assumption is that however you live, whatever you do, you're going to go to heaven. And one sweet day, we'll be together. And I'm playing this song for us because that assumption is everywhere in everybody. So let me ask you this question. God forbid something happens to you and you find yourself standing at the throne of God before the Almighty who's the judge of the whole earth. And he's your creator. And he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? How do you respond? Because that's missing from this song. And by the way, this is a great song. I really like this song. Boys and Men, holy moly. Mariah Carey, that girl can sing. Great song. But it doesn't fill in any of these gaps, right? So if the assumption is everything's fine, it doesn't matter, what do we really believe? So how do you answer that question? Here's how most people answer the question when I ask them. You know, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. Overall, I've done some good things. You know, I gave money to charity. I never hurt anybody. Pretty good guy. Another thing I like to hear is, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not Hitler. So, generally speaking, I'm all right. Another good one. You know, I went to church every Easter until I was 20, 20 years old. Every Easter. So, that counts for something. You know, and plus, you know, I'm not a communist. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not, what, fill it in with whatever you want to fill it in, right? Whatever. And so usually there's two things. One is people say, I've merited this somehow. The other is, I'm better compared to other people, especially Hitler. I'm okay. It's always Hitler. You know, but because he's a bad dude. 
So compared to Hitler, everybody's good. But that really leads to that assumption of it's all going to be fine. It doesn't really matter. And really, that's where our culture is now. Our culture is now is it doesn't really matter. You believe what you want to believe, it's fine. Heavens for you, whatever, if you even believe in that, or just nothingness. Or I don't even know because I've not really thought about it. Or, hey, I'm just trying to live my life. I got student loans to pay off, so I don't even, why are you asking me about this? This is where people are today. It's like, that's good for you. But for me, I'm just going to, I'm finding my own way. And really, I'm determining um, what things are really important to me on this journey of life. That's, I, that's mostly what I hear today. So here's the problem with that. Our culture discounts sin. Discounts sin. It doesn't matter anymore. People know innately there's something bigger than us. There's a creator. There's something I'm supposed to do. People feel it. Everybody does. Because after 16 hours of watching binge-watching shows on the couch, you're like, I got to do something with my life. And it's not just societal pressure. It's because society doesn't have a pressure anymore, really. They're fully okay with you doing that. So now it's this feeling of I'm, I'm accountable somehow. I'm supposed to do something bigger than me. I'm supposed to be doing something greater than just my life. It's in us because we're made in the image of God. We're designed to worship him. And we're designed to worship him. And so because of that, we actually put that into wrong places all the time. And so you see people pour that into their career or into their family or into their looks or into their Instagram or whatever instead of pouring that love into God. So how are we saved? What are we even saved from? Do we even need to be saved? When I was in Iraq, um, I was in the Army. All my stories are Army stories because they're the best. Not all of them, but they're the most exciting. And um, I was in charge of teaching Iraqi police how to do things. And one of the bases that I worked at was uh, way up north and in a place called Al-Zahor. And Al-Zahor was kind of rural, and there was a big army base, Iraqi army base, that was there. And so there were families that actually lived on the base that was right next to the police station. And it was a really weird area because uh, they had cleared all the trees and stuff, and it was very desert. And so there was kind of nothing for all the way around. So you could see if any guys were coming to attack you. But I always felt weirdly vulnerable because it's just open spaces forever. There's nothing to hide behind. And there was a blown out building that was destroyed. And just part of it was standing. And it was next to the police station. So the police station was good. It had a wall. And so we'd go in there and do stuff. And all the kids, whenever we'd show up, would run out from the Iraqi base, the army base. They were All their parents were soldiers in the Iraqi army. And they'd come out. And they'd want to play soccer and do stuff. And they loved us, especially one guy, um, because his name was Sergeant Martinez. And he, had, um, he would always bring uh, his whole tray of food for his lunch every time and just give it to the kids. So he'd eat maybe one thing and give, give his food to the kids. And if we had M&Ms or Skittles, holy moly, like game on. So he, he loved the kids. And he would play soccer with them and do stuff. And there was a dog there that we called Tripod because he only had three legs. And there was a baby donkey. And so we, it was really, I don't know where the donkey was from. It just happened to be there. It was always in the little blown out building. And so we'd see them, you know, and we'd feed the dog and we'd feed the donkey. And so this happened for a couple weeks. And then one day we come out and, um, and the dog is way far and won't come near us. We're like, oh, that's weird. And the kids come up and they're all excited, you know, and playing soccer with them and doing stuff. 
And Martinez took his half of his sandwich that he kept, the bread, to go give to the donkey. And he's asking the kids, where's the donkey? Where's the donkey? And the kids are just kind of bashful, and they're trying to steal the bread. And, um, and so finally, he's, he's pressing them. Where's the donkey? And so one of the little kids, the little tiny guy, goes like this. And, and they had dug a pit and filled the pit with glass and pushed the baby donkey inside so it would die because they didn't want to share food with the donkey. And they beat the dog so the dog would stay away because they didn't want any Skittles to go to the dog. And I got this picture of what sin really looks like. Because we feel like, hey, everything's fine. It's good. Yeah, blown out buildings in our life. Yeah, big open area feels really awkward. But you know, we're helping people. It's fine. It's good. And then the lengths that these are five-year-olds children would go to to kill this animal for the scraps of food that we were giving them. Here's the crazy part. They weren't the poor kids. It wasn't that they were starving. They were fine. They were actually one of the better off in the whole country because they lived on the base. They just didn't want the donkey to get anything. And that stuff is dark. And it's, yeah, it's a donkey, but they killed the donkey. Five-year-olds. And then playing and having a great time with soccer is no big deal. Trying to get the sandwich. It's so weird. And if we actually stop and look at life, and what's around us, the darkness that's there creeps in really fast. And it's funny how, especially with social media, man, that darkness comes out quick. You want to make friends? Great way to make friends is to gang up on the weakest one. Make fun of them. Push that donkey into a pit. You'll make friends. You want to get ahead at the workplace? Stand at the water cooler and tell them how stupid the boss is. You immediately, you want to get a beer tomorrow night? It's going to happen, because that's the culture. The darkness is right there. And that sin springs up in us really quick, where we are willing to murder, kill, destroy, push down, break down the Lord's creation, other people that he's made in his image, to do whatever we want out of selfishness. And it's in us. You know, you don't have to teach children how to lie. Isn't that shocking? How is that that they know how to do that? Why is it that we have to teach young children, boys and girls, how to use their fists to help instead of to hurt? That's what I tell my boys all the time. You are called by God to use your muscles to help, not to hurt. Because, man, something goes bad, somebody gets hit with a Lego, and it is game on. And that wiffle ball bat is going to do some damage now, or whatever. This is my house. I've got a lot of things happening. But we're discipling the kids into... This is what it means to walk with God and not harm people because the natural inclination is to harm other people, to push them down. Our five-year-old has started saying recently, I hate you. Where does that come from? So she didn't get juice from her bigger sister who's just about to turn 10. I hate you. Whoa, we don't talk like that. But that's in, it's in our heart. And here's the problem. Now we're standing before God and we say, Lord, compared to Hitler... I'm pretty good. I did some good things. I went to church sometimes. I gave money to charity. I helped out. I cut that neighbor's lawn when they had a broken leg. I did good things. And you know what's the reality here is that according to the Bible, God does compare us to other people. Really just one person. The measure of our righteousness and success is being compared to Jesus Christ himself, who is the judge of the earth. And the problem is if we come to God and say, Lord, measure me against Hitler. 
I'm much better than him. The Lord has nothing to do with that. And instead, he looks at Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience, his perfection on the earth to do everything that the Father said. He went to the cross and died for sinners because the Father told him to. He resisted sin to the point of sweating drops of blood. And then we say, well, I'm better than Hitler. But we're not better than him. We're not better than Jesus. So how do we get in? Because the answer to the question, how do you get in? How do you come into the, the communion of God is not your merit. It's not that you did okay. Because that sin has caused you to, biblically to be placed as an enemy against God. Outside of his family, outside of his covenant, outside of his people. And one who, biblically speaking, hates him and wants nothing to do with him. And the ambivalence that our, that our culture has of it doesn't really matter, it's no big deal, is hatred toward God because people refuse to bow the knee to their creator. I will not do what this book says. And if it says something then different than what I think, I, with my itching ears, will find somebody who tells me, oh, do whatever you want. I will not submit. And now you're standing before God and that darkness comes out of your heart. It is a lost cause. You are outside. You know, this is actually a trick question because if you belong to Jesus, the Bible says that he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he makes us a new creation in him. The Bible says that he dwells his spirit within us, that we would abide with Christ. Did you know that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you've bowed the knee to him, if you believe in him, if you've said, Lord, I'm yours, forgive me, then God has cleansed you out of his justice because he put that punishment onto Jesus, fulfilled that punishment, and now when he sees you, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Because in the covenant of God, he took that same account of righteousness and put it onto you. That's amazing. So when you get to heaven and you're standing before God, if you're in Jesus Christ, there is no question. The Bible tells us that Jesus knows his lambs. He's separated the goats from the lambs. You don't come up and say, well, Lord, I, uh, let's make a deal. I choose door number two. It doesn't happen. Instead, it's, it's like the prodigal father waiting for that prodigal son to come back in the story, and he's rushing to meet us because you look like Jesus. You smell like Jesus. You have the righteousness of Jesus. That's amazing. That's the good news. The good news is that all of our sin, all of the wrath of God that should be poured out on us was poured out onto Him instead. And He made us now righteous to be in Him, that we would know Him and serve Him and, 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 and be in communion with God. That's amazing. And then, do great things for Him in His kingdom? What a God that we serve. The kindness of God is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The love that God shows us, it's, it's beyond anything in life. It's his character. If you know God, there's no question, why should I let you into heaven? It's just, well done, good and faithful servant. And rushing into him. That's good news. Really good news. But that question of sin is still out there in our culture. And they are headlong just forgetting about it, not believing that it really matters. 
Hey, uh, Roy, can we play David? Can we play the second video, please? This is the number one in history video most played. and Billy Ray Cyrus. 19 weeks in the, in the number one spot is the most requested money-making song in history. Wild, huh? What's the message of the song? No idea. <laughs> no idea. What's the message of the song? I ride my horse to the Old Town Road. So his swag, his swag is different than other people's swag. He rocks his own beat, works for him, and he does it. He's got no problems. He's been through all that stress, money, Maserati sports cars. Live your life. What's his God? It's his image. It's money. It's living that life, right? And this, 2019, this is discipling our people now. This message is not neutral. It's discipling our people, our culture, the world. Also, that guy, the old guy, the country guy, that's Billy Ray Cyrus. That's his daughter's Miley Cyrus. She's got a bajillion dollars, and she's a wreck. Super talented. Super talented girl. She really is. Some of her songs are really excellent musically, but she's a wreck because you're discipled into that. It's exactly the same thing she sings about. Just throw in some drugs and some other things. You know the number one song right now? 
The number one song right now for the last four weeks is Justin Bieber's song, Peaches. Yeah, some people are laughing. It's, it's the same message. We couldn't play that one in church. <laughs> we couldn't play that one in church. And it's about his wife that he got married and he's so excited about it, but it's... But a lot of us can see the joy of A lot of us do, it's true. The problem though is, I'm making this message clear to us, not for us in this room. We need to be clear for the people with itching ears who are finding whatever teachers they want to preach whatever they want in a society that says, you define it. You define yourself. You define everything. It's fine. It doesn't matter. And now we need to, have to, are bound by duty to the king who created us and saved us to stand up and say, there is a better way. And his name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He will demand everything from you. Everything. But guess what? You're already dead in your trespasses. The sin that you're experiencing and all the stuff you're trying to do to fill it, it doesn't work. And guess what? It doesn't work. All of those guys can tell you that. We all know that. Because we tried, didn't we? To fill it with anything. But at the end of the day, to come to him and breathe in life for the first time, and life in freedom without the wrath of God impending over you, the life of God breathed into you for the first time, knowing that you're forgiven, that you've been made a son and daughter in his kingdom, that you belong to Jesus, that you're secure in him, that his covenant is over you, that what he says will never, ever be altered because he's the king of the universe. And if he said it over you, it will not change. And if he said it over your children, it will not change. How amazing. This God that we serve, he's so good. He's so big. He's so strong. And the world is literally dying in the inside, waiting for the message of the freedom of Jesus Christ. And they're putting all of their hope into that image. How many people are going to get Maserati sports cars? Very few. But this is what we idolize. That's what success looks like. I beat my, my own drum. My swag is so high. I'm so great. Everything I do is awesome. It doesn't matter. When I come into town, people take notice. Money bags and guitars and sports cars. And at one time he said, my life's a movie, was one of the lines. Bull riding and boobies. That's the line from the song. But this is, this is what's discipling our young people. This is what's discipling everybody. And it's not true. Because the reality is, sin is still sin. And our culture does not want to face it. And the solution to sin is that we have a Savior named Jesus Christ. God Himself, who became a man for us, who lived a perfect life without sin, who took the wrath of God. Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, the sun went black, the sky went black, the earth shook, people rose from the dead? You want to talk about panic. It was like zombie apocalypse. People were freaking out. They didn't know what was happening. The temple curtain that's a couple feet thick tore in two. One of the Roman centurions standing outside said, surely this is the son of God. A centurion looking at what is happening right now. Because for the first time in history, the blood of the creator was falling onto the ground that he created. You understand, the Lord formed and planted and grew a tree that he would eventually hang his own son on for us, 
for you and for people who are following Maserati sports cars. That's their whole life boiled down. Their whole life boiled down is just money and success and fame. And if one person likes me on Facebook, then I'll know I'm okay. And that destiny is empty. But we walk around like, oh, yep, yeah, mm -hmm, whatever, it's good for you, it's good for you, sorry, whatever. Because the church needs to stand up and say, this is the gospel. This is how you treat people, how they treat women, how they treat men. It's, it's false. But we stand on the gospel and say, there's a better way. There's a king named Jesus. He makes you a prince in his kingdom. You don't deserve it. It's not anything you've done. But his call, his grace, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, but as a gift of God. I'm here to tell you, if you don't know Jesus like that today, if you are coming, planning in your life that you're going to stand in front of God and say, here, Lord, look at the good things I did. You are not a Christian. You're not. I'm, I'm not. I'm sorry to say it like that. Unless you come and say, Lord, my whole life is in your hands, and I trust you with my every breath. That's Christianity. It's saying, Lord, everything I have is loss and dross and brokenness. The best things that I've done. You know one of the ways I knew that I was a Christian? I really knew I was a Christian. Was because I was... Um, I was... Two, I wasn't going to tell you this story, but we're, we're going to have worship team come on up. I was two weeks into my tour in Iraq, my first tour. Not even. I was one week in, and we got a call on the radio that some bad stuff had happened, and there were a bunch of our guys hurt. And so um, I, went to, I went to the hospital, Biop Hospital, Baghdad International Airport Hospital. And uh, we arrived there, and I had our, our task force commander. He was in charge of 3,000 people, and I was escorting him around, and... So I went with him in, and one of our guys, who I didn't know, I didn't know him, but he was in our, my unit, had been hurt, and they were doing brain surgery on him. And I, he, the, the doctors that were there said, sit down right here. So I sat down, and the door in front of me was opening and closing, automatic door as doctors were rushing in and out, and I could see his brain. He was laying his feet that way. His head was toward me. He was open. He was working on him. And I'm wearing all my gear, you know, and this nurse came up, and she was a beautiful, gorgeous woman. I mean, she was, and everything in Iraq is drab and dark, and, you know, and we've been training for months. And so this girl walked up, and she was a stunning, beautiful nurse. And so, uh, so I remember I'm wearing all this gear. I had 80 pounds of gear on. I carried three, three basic loads of ammo, so just because I was big and I could carry it. So I carried a lot. So if you get stuck... You had 11 minutes. That's what your ammunition lasts in combat. It's kind of what lasts 11 minutes. So I carried three of those loads. So 21 magazines, just to make sure we're good. Anyway, that's beside itself. So I'm wearing all this stuff, you know, and I'm looking at this girl like, I'm special. What's your name? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, what are you doing? Because there's darkness everywhere. And it's so dark that to see one glimmering, shining thing like this lovely girl who was clean. We weren't clean. No one's clean. But she was clean because she was scrubbing in to go do stuff. Like, I'm not saying not dirty, literally. And I, and I used that opportunity to try to look cool. That's Instagram. That's Facebook. 
It's the water cooler. It's what we do all the time. The darkness comes out of us so fast. And the real situation is, here's a guy fighting for his life. And all I can think about is, maybe talk to this girl, get some dinner. They're, they had actual silverware at this the hospital dining facility, real plates. So all my soldiers are like, sir, can we stay? If this guy makes it or not, we're going to get dinner. That's the reality. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And then the Lord halting you to say, what are you doing? And realizing that we have a Savior who died for us, for his lost sheep that he loves in the world. And we're more concerned with what we're going to eat for lunch. And so why am I saying this? I'm saying this because God, his calling us is so much bigger than what the world is saying. It's so much bigger. And our call now is to say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust my breath. I trust you in, in everything. Lord, use me. Use me to touch my family. Use me to touch my neighbors. Use me that I might bring you glory everywhere by seeing people changed by your gospel and not just doing okay and pat it on the back, but that the gospel would actually change the world. Because the gospel is our hope and it's salvation for people and it's what will make our country good. It's what will make our, our town good. It's what makes our church good. Because the gospel changes us because it's God himself who makes us new creations. And now our priorities align with his priorities. And instead of what the world says, suddenly we see things through a new lens because you're a new creation in Christ. And everything changes in you. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are called to a mission that's greater than just walking through mundane life. And someday I'll go to heaven. And instead, we see our Father's kingdom everywhere on earth made more glorious because he has sent his people, his workers, into the harvest to do something about it. And I'm telling you now, we live in a time of itching ears. They don't want to hear it. Are you prepared? to say, Lord, I love you more than I love my reputation. I love you more than I love my friends on Facebook. I love you more than I love being comfortable. Because man, the easy way is easy, and the hard way is costly. But with God, with his power, with his strength, with his love, knowing him, if he takes you by the hand, is there anywhere you can't go? Is there any mountain you can't scale? Is there anything that you can't do if the Lord is leading us? How incredible. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know that you are free from sin because God has died on the cross, that he rose again, and that your life is in him, if you can't say that, then today is the day of salvation. Right now, say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. We're not going to turn on the lights. We're not going to do anything. Right now where you're at, say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for the darkness that is in me. I want to know you. You're the way, the truth, and the life. I want to know you. And he will save you. Repent of your sin. Turn from it and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And then come find me and I will walk you through with other elders everything that the Bible says. If you know of a neighbor right now while we're talking or a family member or a friend, call them today. If there's somebody that's on your heart where you're like, it's Sam. Yeah, it's Sam. I know it. Don't wait anymore. If the Lord takes you by hand, what can we do but succeed? It's his word. How can we save anybody anyway? 
The Lord saves. Tell them the truth, even if it's costly. How do you do that? Say, hey, I care for you. Let's meet together. Don't just, don't just blast them with stuff on Facebook. That's not going to help. I've been praying for you. I'm thinking about you. If you died today, God forbid, and you're standing before God, and he says, should I let you in? What do you say? And if he says, ah, it doesn't really matter, or if he says, I'm pretty good, or if he says, I'm better than Hitler, show him a better way. This is the gospel. Believe in Jesus. You will know him because he's faithful to his word. Amen to that? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to worship. Let's all stand together. Then we have one last announcement after we finish our song that I'll come up and do, if that's okay, after the song. Father, thank you for this congregation. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you've put us on a mission that's bigger than us. Lord, thank you that you have filled us with your power by the Holy Spirit, that we're not alone, we're not ill-equipped, but instead, Lord, you've given us your gospel. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for a blessing, a spiritual blessing on every person here, every person listening at home. Father, let them know your power. Let them know your presence. Lord, anyone who has not bowed the knee to you, I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you will arrest them, convict them of their sin. Let them know that they need to bow the knee to you, Lord, and that you would bring them to salvation. Father, let today be the day of salvation. Father, for all of us who have known you for a long time, Father, forgive us for being comfortable. Forgive us for putting our desires and needs above yours. Father, we want to be the church that the devil's afraid of. We want to be the church that is faithful to your word. We want to be the church where people say, go there and you will see God. Because, Lord, you're with us. And, Lord, you're moving. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your power would unlock in us, Lord, our passion for you, Jesus. That you would fill us with fire again, Lord. That you would break any addictions. That you would, that you would weed out any sins in our life, Father. Any idolatry that we put before you, God. Lord, let us love you with purity. And Father, as we come before you, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Lord, use us to glorify you. Father, save all those people. Lord, you said to ask for harvesters to go out into the field. So Lord, we ask you, use us to be your workers to go into the harvest. Lord, we will sow seeds for you, but Father, we want to reap a harvest too. And so, Lord, we submit these things before you in the name of Jesus. Church body, let the rule of the Father fill your heart. Let the presence of the Son overwhelm you. And let the power of the Holy Spirit fill you that you might know the glory of being used by Him. God bless you all. Let's worship.